Boker Tov, and welcome back to another and ongoing series of Shurem and Dafyomi. We are now in Ketubot Perek Zion, uh, Mishnah Chet, which continues on with the theme and the concern about Mumin, uh, and, uh, and how that plays out. And we read as follows. The entire issue of our Mishnah is going to be the issue of burden of proof and of timing. Keep in mind one thing, that if she has Mumin at the time of Kiddushin, and he's Mekadosh Ramanatshe Naleha Mumin, then uh, the Kiddushin are uprooted, and if he's Mekadosh or without any Tanai, then uh, so there is uh, there are big uh, implications, huge implications here, to whether or not there were mumin. If, on the other hand, the mumin happened or occurred after erusin, then it would be under the bay under the Baal's uh, purview. And as we said much earlier in the Masechta, at the very beginning, it's like his field has been flooded. In other words, he is fi- the financial loss is his. So therefore, if she had mumin while she was still in her father's house, then the father has to bring a proof that those mumin happened after Erusin. In other words, while she's still in his house, obviously, because that's where she is now, but after Erusin. And then the husband uh, eats it, as it were. And then the husband if uh, she already entered the husband's house, then then the husband has to bring the the proof that the that the mumin happened before erusin. and then it was a mekachtaot. That's what mayor's position. At the outset, it sounds like Chachamim agree with Rameir, but they just uh, limit it and say that's only mumin that are not on any exposed part of the body. He can't make such a claim with exposed mumin because he saw them before he married her. And then even if he can prove that they existed, if they pre-existed, pre-Kedushin, nonetheless, uh, he clearly was mochel, he accepted that. Go further and say, if there is a bathhouse in that city, he cannot even claim about unexposed mumin, because the normal method that a man would take to make sure that the woman was attractive was to have his own sister or mother or other female relatives go with her to the bathhouse and then report back what she saw. Now, <clears throat> the Gemara immediately jumps on the issue of the burden of proof. Proof. So in the first clause, we said that if the father can bring proof that the mumin happened afterwards, then the husband is stuck, as it were. So clearly, by implication, if the father cannot bring such a proof, we believe the husband's claim that the mumin happened earlier, uh, and therefore they, the family that she loses. Now, Mani, whose opinion does that seem to fit with? Rabbi Yoshua, this takes us back to the end of the first parak and the beginning of the second parak, the, the long-running machloka between Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Gamliel about who was believed in case of counterclaims. It seems to be Rabbi Yeshua, that we never believe her against a claim of mamonot uh, that the husband is claiming. So now, Amos Seifa, let's look at the second clause in our Mishnah, if she already got married. And then the mumin appeared about Sarich Laviraya, then the husband has to bring proof that those mumin pre existed. In other words, and if he can't, then she's believed. If the husband cannot bring such a proof, so the father is believed, or the, the girl and the father are believed, to say that these mumin came later. 
That sounds like Rabbi Gamliel's position. Damar, Nemenet. He goes throughout all those Mishnayot, including the first two cases um, in the first parak, where the Machloket was about a Mamoni status, about whether she was a Mukat Eitz, or Jusadish, or Tachtav, or Lotachtav. Uh, Rabbi Gamliel's position was that we believe her, and that means even for issues of Ketubah. So Amar Abelazar Tavra, Mishan He says, let's split the Mishnah. The first clause is taught by the school of Rabbi Yeshua, and the second by Rabbi Gamliel. That's, of course, somewhat difficult, and it's difficult also in light of the fact that we've already accepted Rabbi Gamliel as the, as the halacha. So Amar Rava, Rava disagrees. He says, Lo tem Rabbi Yeshua, lo azobata chazaka de gufa, klal, don't think that Rabbi Yeshua totally disregards chazaka de gufa. Remember, chazaka de gufa, Essentially means that a uh, the presumption is that a person's physical status, um, if it if we know it to have changed, changed at the last possible moment. Which means that whatever status they were born with, or we know that they entered into, is maintained until the last possible moment when it couldn't be. So, for instance, if a girl uh, was mukat eights, and the husband's claim is that she was mukat eights. Uh, before I betrothed her. And she says, no, I was a mukat eitz tachtecha, and it's too bad. Chazaka de Gufa would militate in favor of saying that the mukat eitz at the most recent moment, because we know her to be born not a mukat eitz. And so therefore we say the change happened at the last moment. That's Chazaka de Gufa. So Rava says, don't think that Rabbi Yeshua totally disregards Chazaka de Gufa. When does he do that? Only if there's a cheskat mamon against that. In other words, in the case of the Mukat Eitz, uh, for instance, back in uh, in the first parak, when the husband claims, you are Mukat Eitz before I betrothed you, and she says, no, I'm Mukat Eitz Tachtecha, Rabbi Shua says that the husband does not owe the Ketubah, or he owes a hundred, whatever, but the lesser amount. Um, uh, so, in other words, Rabbi Shua says that your Chezkat Aguf does not trump the Chezkat Mamon that the moment belongs to the husband. I'm not going to be Motzit from the husband, uh, 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 with only your chazkat aguf. However, he does not totally discard chazkat agufa. But valhecha doleka chazkat mamona is about Yeshua about the chazkat agufa. I know that Yeshua does maintain chazkat aguf when there is no chazkat mamon opposing it. And where do I know that from? From a totally disconnected area, which is about sarat. Now there are various um, sightings, there are various uh, types of scabrous. Um, uh, scales, that is, uh, on the skin that are or are not sarat, and one has to be an expert in these simanim to know which is which, and the sequence also makes a difference, as we'll see. Im baherat kodem alavan, if the baherat comes before the white hair, if the, the, the area turns white before the white hair, then tameh. Im alavan kodem but if the hair turns white before the area does, then tahor. Now what do you do in case of a safek? Uh, you don't know which came first. Tamei. Rabbi Shomer Keha. Rabbi Shua says Keha, which we don't know exactly what it means. Look at Rashi has a different girs of Keha with a kuf. My Keha, what does it mean? Amarabah Keha Tahor. Keha literally means dark, but the way Rashi reads it at least, it means that he set the, the, the teeth on edge of the person who claimed Tamei. But the main point that we get from it is Rabbi Shua says Tahor. And Rabbi Shua says Tahor, why? Because I'm not going to change your status as being Tahor to Tameh Misafek. In other words, you have a Chezkat Aguf that you're Tahor, and until I know for sure that you are Tameh, you're still Tahor. So he does accept Chezkat Aguf, except when it's opposed by a Chezkat Mamon. So that would allow our entire Mishnah to be Rabbi Yoshua. And therefore he would say, in the case where she's in the father's house, 
um, if the sorry in the in the um, in the husband's house, the husband must prove that the mumin happened earlier. Otherwise, cheskatagoof trumps the trumps the day. But that's a little bit difficult because we don't want our Mishnah to be exclusively Rabbi Shua. So Rava now takes another tack, which is as follows. Uh, he says there's a very simple calculus that the, that Rabbi Gamliel says, uh, Rabbi Gamliel is the author, and he says, let's take a look. The mumin were found in the father's reshut, and as well, she's in the father's house. So I therefore assume that these mumin date back to the earliest possible date in the father's house. So therefore, the assumption is that it happened before betrothal, unless the father can prove that it was a late change. On the other hand, and if she's in the husband's house, then, because this is the place where it was discovered, this is where I assume it happened, and therefore the onus is on the ball to prove that it happened earlier. Okay, so that's uh, his take. Now, Abaye challenges this. Remember, in the second half of our Mishnah, we said that if she already got married, the husband is the one with the onus of uh, the burden of proof to prove that the, that the, um, that the mumin happened before Erusin. Now, according to you, Ravi, he shouldn't have to prove that. All he should have to prove is that they happened in the father's house, even after Erusin. And that would be good enough, because once it's in the father's house, then we already add to that your consideration of Kanyam Tzuvu Kanayu, and then we date it back to the earliest possible date. Alright, so there, the husband has to prove that they go back to before Erusin. Proving that they happened after Erusin in the, in the father's house will not help him at all. According to Yurava, if the husband can prove that the mumin were seen, like, yeah, all he has to do is bring a witness that was there 10 days after the Erusin and says, yeah, in the father's house, I saw her, she had this mum. And then once we've established that, why don't we then use your principle that that means that they were always there in the father's house, even before Erusin? Amarlay, so, uh, Rava gives the following answer. Mishinit Arsa, once she is betrothed, if the, fa- the man can only prove that the mumin appeared, or at least the best testimony he has, is that somebody saw her with the mumin in the father's house after she betrothed, because in that case, we're going to say, use the other chazaka, a man doesn't drink out of a cup till he first checks what's in it. In other words, if the la- the oldest sighting that we have of her with Mumin still postdates the Erusin, then our assumption is that he knew about it, and because he wouldn't betroth the girl without checking her out, and then, um, and uh, therefore he accepted it. Now he's uh, changing his mind. Okay, now, Vahai Ravani Fayasu, so he must have seen it and accepted it. So, So if that's the case, then even if he can prove that the Mumin pre-existed Erusin, that still shouldn't help him. Because the assumption is that he knew about him and he was Ma'ari, sir. So if you're going, if you're telling me that every time that we have, um, uh, we, that we have a mum, and after Erusin, the husband's able to point to that, the existence of the mum, nonetheless, the fact that you claim, you're claiming that the husband would never have betrothed her if he didn't, uh, accept the mum should wipe out the entire Mishnah, really. The husband's claiming the entire Mishnah is wiped out. We have another chazaka that goes against that. And as we have one chazaka, which is a person does not engage before he checks her out, but on the other betrothed before he checks her out. On the other hand, we have a chazaka that a person is not ready to reconcile himself to mumin, unless we know differently. 
So why don't you say the same thing afterwards? In other words, if the husband can bring proof that she had mumin in the father's house after Erusin, why don't you say, and obviously the husband did not know it and accept it because nobody would reconcile themselves to that. Because Mishum Katarti, the answer is that when it happened after Erusin, the best testimony you have is after Erusin in the father's house, you now have two Chazakot. Chazaka Hamed Gufa Chazkato, first of us Chazkata Guf. Has got to go for the girl, which is that the change happened at the last moment. And the other chazaka is that a man would not uh, drink from a cup unless he checks it out. Both of those chazakot, which uh, which help the girl. I the guy saw it, and the guy and the guy saw it, and he accepted it. So my amart, what are you going to counter that? Chazaka in adam mefais You're going to counter with the chazaka that a man does not generally reconcile himself to mumin. So the answer is, it's a simple calculus. You have two chazakot in favor of the girl. Now let's put this all together. If the guy can bring evidence that the girl had mumin, let's start with the simple case, before he betrothed her, then the fact that he betrothed her, somehow he missed it. Now he's aware of it. Now he brings witnesses who saw it before. So we don't have any chazkataguf, because that's been blown away by the witnesses. And so therefore we have these two other chazakot that operate against each other, which sort of cancel each other out. On the one hand, a chazaka that a person does not reconcile himself to mumin. On the other hand, a chazaka that nobody makes a deal before they check the condition of the, of the stuff. And so therefore, in the case where you have adim that the mumin predated the erusin, uh, then, then effectively you've knocked out the chazkataguf and everything else stays where it is. And we assume now that he did not accept these uh, these muminers mekachtaut. Alright, so now if the testimony is about preerusin, then you cannot claim chazkataguf, like I just explained. So Maika, what's left? So are you going to claim now that well the guy betrothed her, he must have checked her out, he must have accepted it. So Countering that, you have a general chazaka that a person does not reconcile himself to mumin. And therefore, the mamon stays where it is. And All right, now, that's all Rava. So just to summarize quickly, Rava reconciles the apparent contradiction in our Mishnah between the first clause and the second clause that we pointed out at the beginning of the Gemara by saying that the entire piece is Ramagamliel and that the judgment is essentially based on what the location was, what the reshut was, when the mumin were discovered. If they were discovered in the husband's house, then we assume they happened here, and he has to prove that they happened before Erusin to be out of the to be to be uh, keep the ketubah. If on the other hand they happened in the father's house, the assumption is that they happened at the beginning, and then the father has to prove that they actually happened after Erusin in order for it to collect the ketubah. Now, the counter to that that Abaye brought was that, well, if it's all based on location, then as soon as the husband brings proof that the mumin were in the father's house, it should it shouldn't have to be he should not have to prove that they were pre-exist, uh, that they existed before Erusin, because then you should just use your kanim to hayu. So the answer is that then I start rolling in these other chazakot, and the bottom line is that if I prove that the mumin pre-existed 
before Erusin, then I don't have any Chazkat Aguf anymore. And all I've got is the two Chazakot uh, against each other. One, that a person doesn't reconcile himself to Mumin. And on the other hand, that a person doesn't engage a deal until he checks out the what, the, what he's getting. And here he, say he seemed to have accepted it. But if, on the other hand, the best testimony the husband can bring is after Erusin, then that means we still have Chazkat Aguf, and then the other two cancel themselves out, and then we assume that the Mumin happened later. That's all Rava. Ravashi has what seems to be a very quick solution to the contradiction between the Reisha and the Seifa, and he says as follows, We have to keep in mind that the Ketubah of an Arusa goes to the father. The Ketubah of an Esua obviously goes to her. So now, when the claim is happening in the father's house, the father's family is claiming the Ketubah, and it's her Chazakah, Chazkataguf, that's being used to, to support it. So really there's a clay case where you're saying, Father, you owe Father money, which is a much weaker claim. But in the Seifa, when it happened in the father's, in the husband's house, then her claim is for herself, in which case her Chezkat is good proof for that. So now, So now one of the students challenges Ravashi and says, We have a read that Modur Meir, or perhaps... Take a look in the Rishoni, Modem Chachamim Lereb Meir, which is a little bit more a harder girsa. Then Mumin, by the way, the reason Reb Meir is mentioned, of course, is he is the author of the principal opinion in the Mishnah, is that he uh, is that he will concede that Mumin Haruin Mumin that almost assuredly came with her. And it's Mumin that she was clearly born with, that came with her from her father's house. It's the father has to bring proof, um, even if they're found in the husband's house, which means that her claim that's taking place in the husband's house, uh, sorry, the husband's claim that's taking place in the husband's house, in this case, if the claim is about a particular Mumin, now we all know what the Mumin is, the question is just what had happened, that in even if it's in the husband's house, if it's the kind of moon that she undoubtedly came with, the father has to bring the raya. So avamai, why is that the case? That's a case of According to you, Ravashi, any time it happens in the in the husband's house, she should have the winning hand, and her cheskat aguf should trump. So the answer is hachamaskin and You know what we're talking about? We're talking about an extra limb, uh, an extra digit, an extra toe, an extra foot, an extra hand. Uh, sorry, an extra finger. You tear it, my raya, my. So time, time out. If, uh, if, if the claim here is about an extra toe, what kind of proof can the father bring that indicates that, that, uh, that it happened, uh, later? That's, uh, that's bizarre. And obviously it happened at birth. The answer is raya, deravanifayasu. The proof is not that it happened later. The proof is that the husband knew about it and he accepted it. That's the proof he's going to bring. In which case, man is out, which means Ravashi's position, Ravashi's explanation is still a viable explanation. The counter to Ravashi from a case where it's Mumin that certainly came with her, it does not at all touch upon the issue of cheskat aguf. The only proof that's going to play a role here is if the father can prove that the husband knew about this extra digit, for instance, an extra toe, and there were witnesses who saw that he saw it and he talked about it or whatever, and he knew about it before betrothal, in which case he cannot claim mekach ta'ut. So we will pick up from this point in the next podcast of Yerz Hashem and continue to the Mishnah and Daf Ayin Vav.